Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is it time for a new heating and cooling system? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services and Carrier today and get 0% financing for 18 months on a new heating and cooling system. Get the comfort you deserve from Griffith Energy Services and Carrier. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today for this and other exclusive offers. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. Now, you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, the podcast that looks at the XG and performance of Celtic FC. It's been a crazy week. I'll take you through the week in a life of a decision maker at Celtic. You draw against Hibs with thanks to a last-minute goal, and then you get battered 4-1 by a club 40 places behind you in the UEFA rankings. You've now lost 8-2 on aggregate to Sparta Prague. The club's in trouble, but it's business as usual. You prepare for Ross County in the League Cup. You lose that to a team that have scored 10 goals in the league so far, you're out. The fans come down to the stadium and protest. It's reached boiling point. You've now got two wins from 10. You're out of the Champions League, out of the Europa League, out of the League Cup, and you're 11 points behind Rangers. It's only November. What do you do? Well, you don't choose to sack the manager. You choose to give him your backing over Zoom and claim that your decision will not be swayed by the mob, the same mob that spent their own money to keep the club afloat over the last year. You choose to put the results at risk, the success of the club at risk, to spite your own fans and to save your own ego. That is a long week for a decision maker at the helm of Celtic FC. Alan Morrison, Juco James, it's just not getting any better, is it? Well, when, if you ask, uh, if that was an open-ended question about uh, what do you do, I, it, it's 9, 9 a.m. here, and I think I'm going to start drinking after listening to that. <laughs> Uh, so I'm nice and numb in time for the Milan game later today. Um, yeah, it's been a been a really rough week, and um, I think uh, you know it, it, there's so much that we can't know. That's the hard part. Outsiders, supporters, the internal dynamics of what's going on, the decision making process that's unfolding. Um, you know, with such lack of information, imperfect information, it, people are obviously and justifiably upset. And uh, expressing that that uh, uh, unsettledness, um, and and I've you know probably been one of the more critical people across the board all season, 
Uh, but I, I have, I do have empathy for these people on a personal basis. I mean, this is a tough spot they're in. This is part of why I thought good decision-making early needed to happen because once you start getting into this kind of chaos, making good decisions in the midst of pressure and emotions and, you know, internal politics that are probably under unfolding and power grabs and, you know, it's, it's almost like a, every person for themselves uh, type of thing that starts to unfold with those kind of dynamics. So it's really unfortunate. Um, like I said, I have empathy for the individuals involved because I'm, I'm sure they're all trying their best. That's, that's the, the worst part about this. When you start getting into these spirals um, of pressure and, and bad decision-making, they kind of feed along themselves and, you know, they think they're doing their, their best. They think their judgment is the right way. Um, and, and, you know, it's just really, really rough. Alan, do you go along the same lines as that? No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think history shows us that when you have a sustained period of success, um, call it, label it complacency if you want, label it hubris, but certainly that edge perhaps comes off. And I'm not talking about just the players, I'm talking about the organization as a whole, but the leadership and the tone is set from the top. I mean, one of the things that... Um, you know, you would always admire about, let's say, Alex Ferguson, who's you know, probably a modern UK exemplar of how to manage a football club. And clearly he was an exception, but um, the many lessons to be learned was the fact that, you know, despite Manchester United's dominance throughout the, the 1990s especially, at periodic points, there were some quite surprising decisions made, especially around, um, you know, number twos, coaching staff, even key players like, Beckham, Jap Stam, for example, um, you know, that were let go uh, or, or sold or people swapped in and out of key positions. Um, and it, it almost, you know, it, it kept the blood flowing. It kept everyone on point. It kept everyone uh, with their eyes on the on the goal. You know, kept everyone on the toes, frankly, right? Um, we, I don't think we see that at Celtic. I think we see um, uh, a pretty set uh, methodology and, and, and personnel in the key, key decision-making positions. Um, and, and we just don't see that freshness of new ideas coming in. I think in terms of the reaction, it's, it's uh, it, you know, it, we're, we're in a no-win situation, right? Fans of other clubs just look at Celtic fans and laugh at them saying, you know, you've been winning for years and now you lose a few games, you're up in arms type of thing. And they'll have no sympathy, and rightly and rightly so. But what I would say, what I would say, and it's probably maybe for another, in depth for another, another podcast, is there is a lack of trust fundamentally. Uh, between a lot of Celtic fans and, and the board. Um, and, and we've probably got our own, own, own reasons for that. Mine, mine date back to probably you know, just before 2012 and, and the events thereof um, and, and the sort of Resolution 12 and the way that the, the governance of Scottish football has been mishandled. Um, and, and when you're winning and, you, and the trophies are there and success is flowing, you kind of just get along with it. Mm-hmm. But when things start to go go bad, you fall back to, you know, do I trust these people? Uh, and a lot of people don't. And that's what, it, and that, therefore you're going to get a bad reaction. Yeah, and we try to keep emotion out of this podcast as much as we possible, and look at the data and see if the data backs up what we're trying to say. A lot of the time, it actually does. On the Alex Ferguson point, and it's the last point I'm going to make on this, is that the reason that they were so successful and able to adapt is because they were absolutely ruthless in their strides for success. And I believe at the minute Celtic are not being ruthless enough with people just because of who they are and because they're standing in the club. And yes, you have to give that respect, but respect has been paid and time is up. 
And now it's time to make some really, really tough decisions that will benefit the club going forward because the club always comes first. Nobody is bigger than the club, regardless of how big of a legend they are off the club. That's the last thing I'm going to say on the matter. Moving on to the matter at hand, which, look, the Sparta Prague's one, that, that defeats one thing. That's in Europa League. It's come at a bad time. The Ross County 2-0 defeat is unforgivable, in my opinion, in the League Cup. It's now the first cup in how many years that Celtic will not win domestically. And it's also losing to a team that is way below the standards of where Celtic are at. So, James, where are we looking at first when we look at this game? What does the data say? What, how bad was this performance? Yeah, it was, it was terrible. <laughs> um, to, to summarize, I, I do uh, regularly, I do kind of a pregame performance benchmarking uh, uh, tweet thread to kind of lay out some metrics as far as, you know, what, what kind of opponent are we facing? What's their level competitively? And over the last five seasons, where, how have we performed against that opponent specifically home and away, that kind of thing, just to provide an analytical framework for benchmarking. It's not necessarily predictive, but it's just a kind of a nice, simple way to judge performance in a one-off game. And I got some, uh, some interesting feedback, shall we say, maybe some Ross County supporters that didn't like uh, my, my framing of uh, our loss to, to Ross County. Because if you, if you look at some of the, um, uh, call them power indexes like ELO or uh, 538's uh, soccer power index, effectively Ross County is like a top of the table League One EFL club, uh, bottom of the table kind of Wigan level maybe. Uh, I'm sorry, top of the of league um, one into the very bottom of, of the championship. And um, so that that's not a good opponent. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's someone particularly sorry, at home. So, which is remarkable for a, a town of about 4,000 people. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's to their credit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's all context, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, they're punching above their weight, I think, for who they are and their, their wage wages and that kind of thing and their geography. I mean, getting players to go up there, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that, that's not meant at all to demean Ross County. It's just the context of opponent. And and um, so for ba- basically the level of XG that we created in that game, the number of chances and the quality of them were just really poor within that context. Um and that, that's something I've been harping on for over a year now, which is the defensive issues are, are you know, there and, and the mistakes in Europe have been consistent and it really seems like forever now. Um, but chance creation continues to be a major problem. Um, and it's gotten worse. The spiral that we've entered into this season, I think there's justifiably a lot of focus on the defensive side, given all of the, the big errors and the, the goals being conceded. Um, but on an absolute basis, our chance, the amount of chances that we're surrendering is still not crazy. It, it's, you know, in the league, for example, it's still less than one in total XG that we're conceding per game, um, which is up. It's definitely up, but that's not an absolute level that's all that high. Um, what, where we've really become mediocre to even, you know, average is in our chance creation particularly when you look at the firepower that we have 
and you look at the the talent that we have, the resources that we've spent on creative players, and that the style that the manager likes to play. I mean, it's not like we're st- setting up like Steve Clark's Kilmarnock, yeah. And we've changed the way we're playing, and that's you know that philosophy has shifted, and that our our chance creation has um, fallen. So we we we've basically gone all out attacking with really good attacking players and we're not getting anywhere near the commensurate amount of chance creation that we should be. And again, we've talked about this in recent episodes about then creating the defensive vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. uh, and and how that's compounding. So this was just another episode of the same thing. I mean, for us to have, I mean, we really only had four, let's call it well-struck balls. (laughs) Uh, They weren't necessarily shots on goal, but, you know, four to five where you could say the player actually put good contact on the ball and it was in the direction of the goal, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and, and that, that, that includes, I think Rogic is uh, one that was wide and, yeah. you know, Iyer had a decent contact. You had the free kick from Edward. I mean, we, we basically, if you exclude Edward's free kick, I mean, we were close to one in, uh, in, in XG created, which is just, you know, horrific in the context of that opponent at home with, with the talent that we have. Yeah. And the fact that we're seeing the defensive frailties all for the sake of this weird formation that Neil Lennon seems to want to play with the wing backs bombing forward and the three midfielders attacking with very little there to actually, uh, defend against a counterattack. So if you're not getting the output going forward from that, then there's there's no point in doing it if you're going to be uh, frail at the back as a result. Alan, I know you're caught up with this game as well. Was this the same as always for this season or was it an outlier of a game? Does it continue along the same kind of trends that we've been seeing across the season as well? It was a continuation of an erosion of collective confidence and belief and a collective lack of clarity around what it is that Celtic are trying to do from a strategic tactical perspective on the pitch. What I saw against Sparta was a collapse in confidence of the players. And that's a, that's an emotional thing to say. What I mean by that, how would you measure that in terms of actual behaviors on the pitch? You measure it in the attacking sense because players were not taking responsibility to be patient enough to wait for the right pass to play in the right area. They were just banging it into the box. So they'd get it and they'd say, right, I've, I've got it forward. I've got it in towards closer to the goal. Whereas what good teams do will say, that pass isn't on. Christie's moved too early. I'm going to delay the pass. I'm going to go back out. I'm going to recycle. I'm going to try again. That's what you do when you're confident. When you're not confident, you, 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 you pass responsibility on. You say, I've got the ball forward. And then in defence, it's almost the opposite. You become ponderous. You 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 get crippled. Uh, your decision making um, is not is not switched on. The the, the hesitancy around the the fifty fifties in the box, the lack of reaction time. Some of it was down to Brown because he physically can't react as quickly as a defensive midfielder needs to. And a lot of it was um, you know, a collective failing in confidence. And and when and as you know, at a human level, when your confidence goes, your decision making skills are hugely impaired. What I saw against Sparta was a collective failure of confidence. Against Ross County, I think this is on the manager in terms of how Lennon set the team up. I mean, he basically against, as you said rightly, James, 
what is actually a really you know, poor side, not not, and again, no disrespect to not Eros County because they're phenomenal what they've achieved to stay in the SPFL and you know to have attendances higher than the actual population of the town. It's just a, a brilliant story. Um, but to play, you've essentially got five defenders on the pitch. Okay, you've got five defenders on the pitch, and then you put Brown in central midfield. You put Brown in central midfield on his own, literally on his own. He's, he's, he's parading in an area that's around 200 square yards that he has all to himself because you've pushed Christie wide on one side and you've pushed Rogic wide on the other side, which suits neither player. If you're Christie, it looks like you've been told, because this is what he did continually, to cut inside and cross or to cut inside and shoot. You've then got Rogic, who, who never crosses the ball, but over the last two or three games, has, put, has attempted about 10, 15 crosses. That's Rogic's game. Is, he's a number 10. He plays within the width of the penalty area and he feeds balls through and occasionally he'll take shots on the edge of the box. Christie is a player that you want in the centre of the field, disrupting the opposition with his energy and his tackling ability and breaking forward and getting beyond the strikers and getting into goal-scoring opportunities. So not only have you played five defenders, and as we discussed last week, you've got two wing backs you can't cross the ball and, and don't and create very little. You've pushed your you've pushed your two most creative players out into their space. Laxalt didn't receive a single pack pass in the whole of the first half until the forty fifth minute and didn't make one. So he he wasn't progressing the ball at all. Weirdly, because McGregor wasn't playing, we were right side dominant. <laughs> so Alhamid banged in. I think I'll, I'll just check the number because we like to be precise on uh, on Celtic by numbers. Um, he, he basically he banged in 13 unsuccessful crosses during the game. And between Christie, Laxal and Elhamid, 27 crosses were banged in. You then had two strikers. Those two strikers were sat between two in a very deep block between two banks of a four and a five. And, and and there's no space there. So how are you going to get the ball to them, especially as you vacated the park? So what we did is we sat and watched Scott Brown rack up over 100 passes, of which only 10 actually took any op- opponents out of the game at all. And if I just check very quickly, and I'm sorry I didn't prepare this, his, his, expected, his, his expected assists was actually 0. 0.112, yeah, 0.2, let's say throughout the whole game and actually he played the pass of the match Brown to be fair when he, he took out the whole team to put El Hamid in behind and then El Hamid couldn't find anyone with the cross and I'm not, I'm not criticising Scott Brown's performance because actually Scott Brown did a perfectly reasonable job with what he had to work mm. with he's just completely the wrong player to be in that position utterly dominating possession for the whole team while you had five defenders and, and then the, the whole defensive organisation and shape was exposed because Ross County's first goal again came on the break. Uh, Bitton got dragged out. Brown got dragged to the ball. Four of them got dragged to the ball. Reed skipped past a player. And suddenly the whole thing is systemic failure again. The whole thing, everyone's out of position. Julian's scrambling. Uh, everybody's everybody's uh, struggling at that point. Yet you've got five defenders on the pitch uh, and Scott Brown. You've got six defensive players yeah. against Ross County at home. So you're not creating anything and once again, your defensive structures are failing. You may not have this number to hand, but it might be something that you've seen when you're watching the game. So we're getting all these crosses in, right? 
and Arsenal are doing something similar right now, and they're one of the least creative. Yes, I picked up on that, they're, yeah. they're one of the least creative. There are three crosses, and Arteta's going, "Why are we scoring?" Exactly. <laughs> are you seeing the runs from Edouard, from Ajeti, from Klamala when they're in the box that they're expecting those crosses to come in, or does it look like those crosses are just going in there with no real purpose? So you're playing against a very low block, which means that the, the, the defence is backed right up against its own 18-yard box. And the gap between their defensive line and their midfield line is, is like a couple of a few yards, right? Five yards at most. So there's really not a lot of space there. They've got three massive centre-backs to aim for. And you've got two centre-forwards, one of whose main asset is to drop deep and cause chaos by coming in in from deep positions, dribbling, beating players, um, playing clever passes with, with uh, your teammates. And you've got another player who really is, is wanting to uh, play in, this, in the penalty box and he's going he's gonna to take one touch to try and finish any chance he's got. So lumping crosses into either of those isn't really playing to the strengths of either player or, the, or indeed the players delivering the crosses. So it's just a fundamental mismatch of what you're trying to achieve versus what you should be trying to achieve. If you look at Edward. And you think about when he used to play with Sinclair and McGregor on the left. There you had three skillful players who could interchange position, make, make runs. Some, one would go into the box, one would, would go wide, one would go diagonal. And, and you had a certain you know, uh, unpredictability uh, and you played to the strengths of the players effectively. Yeah, and if, if I could jump in here. So if I think about this, this is why I've, uh, my word of the season has been incoherence. So if you look at the incoherence of the selection Right, so with Brown included, basically six defensively oriented players. Let's say their relative strengths tilt defensively versus an attack um, versus Ross County at home. Um, then uh, within that context, and the tactics that Alan pointed out, where where Christie and Rogic were playing, um, uh, then you throw in uh, exactly what Alan had said, which is. I think confidence is part of this, obviously, but um, confidence in oneself, confidence in the game plan, right? Modern players are very smart. They, they have information. They, they get it. You know, they've been coached up through, um, you know, youth levels w- w- to a degree. Uh, they, they, they have information and the information age that players of bygone eras didn't have. So, they're going to understand that some of this doesn't make any sense. Um, You know, they're not idiots. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's confidence in the system. And I I think a big part of this is, um, you know, they've been attacked not only by their manager, but increasingly by supporters, which I'm sure they hear in the echo chamber. And if they didn't before, they sure as heck heard it on Sunday is that they're not putting forth enough effort. And I, I don't know what Allen's data reflects, but, I mean, there's certainly some of that. I mean, there's there's been some, you know, decline in volumes from certain players like an Edward with his pressing, that kind of thing. Yeah, but generally speaking, what, <laughs> yeah. it's, what it re- screams to me is players that have lacked confidence in general that are actually trying too hard. You know, they're, they're forcing things, right? Yeah. So when, I, when I'm watching other games right now, you know, I, I watched uh, Atalanta play Veronis on, on Sunday um, – I have to, if you pronounce that, my, I don't have Italian. I won't even say my <laughs> Italian's bad. I have no Italian. So I don't know if, if, if Verona is, is pronouncing that correctly. But, um, you know, th- there were triangles all over the place. You know, instances where Zapata, At- Atalanta, you know, they lost 2-0, but 
how many times he got ball played to feet with triangles around him and players making runs. And I mean, it was just, it, it, it just pointed out how little we know what the hell we're doing right now. You know, in Talon's point, people are, you know, the players are seem to be forcing things a lot. And, and that's, um, you know, people assign nefarious, uh, 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 intent to that at times it's all oh, that players being selfish you know somebody like christie's shooting too much being selfish that kind of thing i, I don't necessarily think it's selfishness I, I think these guys are you know lacking in confidence lacking in the game plan and they're they're being bombarded with you're not trying hard enough so they're trying really hard and that's exhausting like, that's why they've also, also i think after 60 minutes they look like most of them have blown out their ass mm. is because they're out there in this context giving their effort. I mean, look at McGregor. I mean, McGregor's running around like a lunatic half the time, trying his best. Mm-hmm. Brown too. I mean, these guys are, I, to me, they all look like they're playing hard for the most part. And again, with some exceptions here and there. Um, and, and it's just not working because of this context that the, you know, this is why I've been talking about structural problems that aren't being addressed and some simple changes. I mean, I, I think people are way underestimating how much this would improve if we literally just dropped Brown. I mean, that's how much damage this is doing now in the midfield structurally. And again, it's not because of him as a person, as a captain, as a leader, uh, even as a player. I mean, trying is his hardest clearly, but some of these midfield issues and, you know, basically just playing him with McGregor in midfield, if at all, I mean, some as on Sunday, it was just Brown. Yeah. I mean, it, it's lunacy. And, and people keep saying, well, you know, Lennon's tried everything. He hasn't tried everything. He hasn't yeah. dropped Brown yet, right? And at yeah. the, go back to the St. Johnston game. I've talked about this before. St. Johnston got nothing through the midfield in that game until Brown came on. Nothing. They had one attempt down the side because of a misplayed ball. And, you know, so some athleticism, some youth, and some presence in midfield. Mm-hmm. I think is kind of the first building block to start fixing some of this stuff. And until we make that huge call and huge decision, again, that's where after Ferenc Faros, I was convinced that Lennon was not going to make it. I mean, there was no, and he had, I mean, I expect Brown to play tonight. Yeah. This evening. And, and that is nuts that he has played in every European game, every big game, and at this point in his career, the damage that that's doing to our structure is is immense. Yeah, and I, I think Scott Brown has been quite good over the last couple of years. I mean, it, it, you don't become a bad player overnight, but age does catch up with you eventually. And we're just seeing that with Brown this season. Speaking of the last few years, so I suppose in the last couple of weeks or the last week especially across Celtic Twitter, there's been numerous stats thrown about about how uh, comparing the last 10 games to Tony Mowbray's last 10 games and then to John Barnes, who is widely regarded as one of the worst managers in Celtic's history. And it's a worse record. But let's delve a little bit deeper into that and compare Neil Lennon's performances to previous years, this year. Where are this Celtic at? this team at in terms of the performances because yeah. it's it's just we're down across all all platforms right but so 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 i think Endo, we're having to have this conversation because neil lennon is still in in role and it looks like um despite 
it's being obvious to a lot of people that change is needed. There isn't going to be change. So, so this is really a sledgehammer (laughs) that I'm going to take here, but no apologies because clearly some key people still don't believe the decline that has actually occurred uh, to Celtic's performances. And what I'm going to do is compare this season to last. So this is Lennon Celtic 20, uh, you know, 1920 to, to 2021. So when I think about a game, if, if you were to sort of ask me amongst the bloody hundreds of stats that I gather on every game, what are if you were to create like a stat box of what are the key things that you'd look at? If you had, if, if you forced me to pick on like, you know, sort of uh, in this case, six things, you know, what, what would they be and why would they be? And then I'm just going to quickly compare those key metrics across just six, six, six key team level performance metrics, Celtic and, and opposition to make the point. So let's start with a couple of bits of good news is that possession, I know possession doesn't win you games, but it's indicative of control. It's indicative of, of the extent to which you're at least maintaining the ball and it tells you something. It doesn't tell you everything. It's all contextual. Possession is pretty much the same as it was last season. Celtic uh, dominate to about 63% possession on average across all competitions, right? Higher in the, in the SPFL, lower mm-hmm. in Europe. And, and then, and then let's, let's go to the one little bit of good news. So what, what do you hear Neil Lennon shout more than any other word when, when, you're, now, when now we can hear what's actually going on in these empty stadiums? It's the word early. And he wants to get the ball early. He wants to get the ball forward as quickly as possible. How does that manifest itself in the stats? So I measure what's called packing. Packing is taking players out of the game with forward passes. So you think if you're trying to get the ball forward quicker, um, and especially playing a slightly more direct game, you're going to be taking more opponents potentially out of the game. You're going to be losing the ball a little bit more, but you're also going to be t- at times you know, completing those passes. And indeed, our ability to get the ball forward and take opponents out of the game has gone up slightly on last season. It's about 3%. However, the opponents are achieving the same against Celtic uh, is up about 12%, which means by a degree of 12%, we're easier to play against in terms of the opponent can can, bre- can progress the ball through Celtic's uh, defensive lines. Let's look at let's look at um, expected goals. It's our old favourite. Celtic's expected, if you take out penalties, because they're, they're pretty kind of random and have a big impact mm. on, on expected goals, but it don't actually tell you anything about how the team's playing, really. Expected goals is down 20%. Four. It's just, it's, it, that's a huge jump. Now, what, what point I made on Twitter the other night is when I'm talking about these percentages, I know they're just numbers, but I'll try and give, try and give you a little bit of context. If any of these numbers were going up and down by anything between 1% and 5%, I'd be taking notice. And, 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 and I'd be thinking this is either, if it went, say, 5% up, I'd be thinking this is quite a good improvement. If it was going 5% down, I'd be like, ooh, this is really concerning. Mm-hmm. Expected, expected goals down 20%. Let's look at the opposition. Expected goals up 23%. Okay? So that's a 40, over a 40% swing in expected goals for and against across the season, across the whole season. That includes Hamilton, Ross County, everything. Next, let's look at really basic stats. Just shots. How many shots are we getting away? You don't score if you don't take shots. Shots, volume, just pure volume of shots. Never mind quality. We've done quality. Quality's down enormously, but shot volume is down 11%. Are we allowing more shots? Yeah, hell we are. 8% more. So again, 19% swing shots for and against. Let's look at getting possession in the box. You're more likely to score if you take shots within the box. Getting possession in the box tends to create problems for the opposition. We are getting 21% less touches and possession within the opposition box. And the opposition are getting, guess what, 20% more possession in Celtic's box. 
And then finally, let's look at, you know, the quality of the chances created. So these are the quality of the passes that are creating chances, expected assists. The quality of the chances Celtic are creating is down by a factor of 18%. And the quality of the chances that the opposition uh, are creating are up 19%. So what you see over uh, some of these very basic but absolutely key metrics that underpin team performance is up to a 40% swing uh, in terms of you know, positive minus between what Celtic are doing and what the opposition are doing. If that, if that, if that sort of ratio was to be um, extrapolated out and actually you looked at the points Celtic got in the SPFL on that basis, we'd essentially be battling hard with Aberdeen for second place on around about the same number of points. And, you know, I believe that performance does get reflected in results. So, actually, if we carry on, I'm looking, we're looking at being the number of points that Aberdeen got, or Motherwell as it was last season, Aberdeen-Motherwell type level got last season. That's, that is the, the extent of the decline in performances. And if that isn't stark enough, and if that doesn't um, you know, drive change, I'm sorry, I, I, I give up. Yeah, wow, that's, that's crazy. James, you want to jump, jump in on that? Yeah, so um, the one thing I wanted to add, and this, this gets down into game-to-game differentials. So if you just look at, you know, r- really if a, an XG differential is within one in a, in a game, you're basically getting to the point of a coin flip of, uh, of dropping points, right? So you may not necessarily lose. You can kind of think of about like that's, you have a 50% chance of winning. Again, there's a sliding scale, but uh, just for conversation, 50% chance of winning, 25% chance of drawing and 25% chance of losing. And that's basically where we were at with, with, with Ross County. Um, So we've been doing, I think we have six, league games this is just talking league games where we've had um uh an xg differential in that in that window we've actually been lucky so far this season if you can believe that right so when when alan quotes those 40 percent shifts uh we've outperformed our xg by a pretty significant margin so far this season and we've actually surrendered less in the way of goals relative to our aggregate sg xg so you could, we could have some bad luck if you want to put it that way. If, if uh, worse luck than we've had, let's put it put it that way, maybe, um, where we could score less and surrender more goals with the exact same performance levels. The the scary part is we could actually play a little better and just have a little you know lower luck and still have the same results, mm-hmm. right? The same output. Um, and, and when I, again, I, I always look at benchmarking relative to our main competitors and, um, the other scary part about this Rangers have absolutely, uh, had some, we'll call it luck on the defensive side, on the defending side. So they've basically surrendered half the goals relative to their XG. Um, but they've won every game on an XG basis. We've lost two where we, you know, basically surrendered more, uh, XG than what we generated, um, and uh, they've only had two games where they've been within one XG, uh, both of which they drew, or I said one of them which they drew. Um, so as Alan talks about, as you extrapolate this over a season, uh, if, if we keep going at this rate, or even if we improve, 
uh, which we, we really should. I mean, given the, the level of teams that we're facing here in the next month, even if we just keep playing like crap with the, the teams being poor, you know, you know, we outperformed Ross County and not as well as we should have, but, um, you know, on, on an XG basis, we still were, you know, the, the better team as far as overall chance creation. Um, you know, the risks here are really high, uh, that we're going to end up in the 75-point range or 80-point or range, something like that for the season, just dropping points, games one-off, draws here and there. And the way Rangers are playing, uh, and they, have had, they haven't had good luck in their XG creation. Right? They've basically scored around the same number of goals as what their XG would suggest they should. So they could they go through – this is why I keep saying that they've been very good – but they could also get better, which is a little frightening yeah. <laughs> uh, given their results and how poor the rest of the league is. Um, so, you know, th- this is why I've been so urgent about why we need to fix these issues is because this disparity is, is so wide in quality in performance levels. Um, and uh, we haven't been doing the structural things to address them. And, and, you know, this is, goes back to, why we need to change in decision-making. Like I'd love Lennon to wake up and start making better decisions. Um, I lost my conviction level. That was going to happen a few months ago. And, and um, the other part I'll add to this, the last thing I'll say is as we head towards Sunday is St. Johnston's actually third in the league in the XG table, let's call it. Um, their defending is actually on par with ours for the season so far and, and concession XG conceded per game. Uh, so this is a dangerous game we're going into Sunday. This is not a complacency game. And the way they played us until we brought on uh, the, the two strikers and the two-striker system <laughs> when we were at St. Johnston that, that resulted in the two late goals with Griffiths and Kamal, um, you know, we need to be worried about Sunday. It's not to say they're, they're going to – they're going to win, but the probabilities of us playing like this and dropping points, I think, again, coin flip, and that's yeah. way too low. Yeah, it really is crazy that we're going into a game with St. Johnson and we're not really that fully confident that we can get a win and that we'll be on par with St. Johnson in terms of how we're performing. It's just indicative of where we're at with Celtic over the last couple of weeks. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when AC Milan beat us tonight in the Europa League and then where Lennon stands and what happens in the next couple of weeks but we are out of time for this episode unfortunately guys I know there's a lot more that we want to get into but we can get into it over the next few weeks for all those listening we are available to download now on the Spreaker app or in iTunes or on Spotify and you can follow us on the Huddle Breakdown Huddle Breakdown on Twitter and on Instagram as well that's where we'll be posting all the material and you can follow us on on, YouTube youtube as well make sure to subscribe and leave a comment let us know what you think of the podcast let let us know if there's anything you want us to actually go into in terms of topics in terms of looking at the performance of certain players we are open to suggestions over the next couple of weeks so really hope you enjoyed that podcast really hope things get better over the next few weeks my thanks to alan and my thanks to james as well we'll be back again with more huddle breakdown next week thanks for listening
a lot of us are looking for ways to start our day feeling more joy and appreciation. And while some of us write gratitude lists or do yoga, others pour themselves a bowl of their favorite cereal, Honey Nut Cheerios. Because not only are Honey Nut Cheerios delicious, they can help lower cholesterol as part of a heart-healthy diet. So maybe the secret to a great mood all day is a little yoga. Then writing your gratitude list over a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios. Learn more about a heart-healthy lifestyle at Cheerios.com. The been thinking about McDonald's all day can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. 